to say thank you to everybody that's involved, the Sunday school teachers that give of your time into the kingdom of God. Your labor is not in vain. It is invested. And you never know who it is that you are ministering to. And uh, as Brother Miller was teaching this morning, I mean, he said a couple of things that really just activated the gears in my head. And one of them was as he was mentioning that how Moses was raised. He was raised a Hebrew. He was raised a child of God at a young age, anywhere estimated from three to five. I've even heard people say as old as 10 years old he was a nurse. I, I don't, we don't know what the exact number is. But within that three-year, five-year window, seven-year window, ten-year window, somebody poured into that, that child, the mother. And though the majority of the next few years was going to be as a teen and as a young adult, in Egypt, the most influential, impacting years was as a child of God. And I thank God that we have children's ministry here. It is a ministry. But the thing, the gear began to move in my head, and I'll get to the word here in a moment, was the fact that, you know, one could argue in some sense, I know what Hebrews 11 says, but, you know, Moses kind of can be stated in a backslidden state because he was identified as an Egyptian. As Brother Miller stated, when he went out into the wilderness, there was nothing about him that identified him as a one God-fearing Israelite Hebrew. He was identified as an Egyptian. All that to say this is what we do with children now. God forbid they backslide. I pray against any of that. But we have no idea who we come in contact with at the store, at a workplace, that maybe when they were five years old, they were raised in an atmosphere of truth. And behind that Egyptian, it's an incognito Hebrew. It's an incognito apostolic that just needs somebody to love on them and invite them and reach out to them. And they can bring great deliverance in their former stages of their life. Joseph, his own brothers didn't recognize him. That's how Egyptian he looked. And I almost feel like just keep talking about it. It was... My mind was moving, and um, we're going to go in the word of the Lord here, and um, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel direction from the Lord. It feels good in the house of God, and if you're here, you're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You are here divinely ordered of the Lord. We go to the book of Judges, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, and read a lot of verses today from the New Living Translation. It's not a word-for-word translation, but it really helps at moments to get some concepts in some modern-day language with still reverence of poetry in the language, if that makes any sense. The Book of Judges is a horrific book. I don't enjoy reading it. A lot of sad stories of just this cycle of dysfunction as people keep going back and forth into backsliding, then crying out to God, then everything's good, and they backslide, and then they cry out to God, God redeems them. God doesn't want you to live in that cycle. God doesn't want you to be saved and then bless you, and then you forget him, and you backslide, and then you have to cry out to him, and him send a deliverer, which he's merciful to keep doing that. But you can live in the blessing. You can live in victory. You can live in the presence of God every single day. 
Judges 1 and 1, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? The Lord answers their question, and he says, this is the first that needs to go out. It is Judah, for I have given them victory over the land. Each name of each tribe of Israel has meaning and significance. Judah means literally to celebrate. It comes from the word praise, yadah, meaning to use the hand by holding out the hand, to cast a stone, an arrow, to extend hands in worship. And when they ask, what should we do first in this opposition to take territory, he says, send forth praise, send forth celebration, extend those hands. Because when you do, it is as if you are casting arrows in the direction of your adversary and it goes, but your praise goes before you and you can make advancement. I'd like to preach on that here today, but that's not the focal point. Verse three, the men of Judah say to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, Join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Simeon is Shema. It means to hear. And it says, then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon, those that hear went with praise. Those that heard the word went forth in the celebration and they took territory. In verse 4, the men of Judah attacked. The Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites and Perizzites that they killed 10,000 enemy warriors at the town of Bezek. While at Bezek, they encountered King Adonai Bezek and fought against him and the Canaanites and the Perizzites were defeated. Adonai Bezek escaped, but the Israelites soon captured him and they cut off his thumbs and big toes. This little piggy did not go to the market. If you read here in verse 7, Adonai Bezek said, I once had 70 kings. This is the guy who just got his thumbs cut off and his big toes cut off. And he says, I once had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, eating scraps from under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They took him to Jerusalem and he died there. Now, if you are one that doesn't have imagination, there's a picture to give you an idea maybe of what it looked like. But go ahead and get rid of that picture before we get rid of lunch here. That's a pretty intense story. The removal of thumbs, the removal of toes. We go here in 1 Samuel 11, 1 through 3. Got something caught in my throat. I apologize. I keep coughing here. About a month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh-Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. So here's another war that's about to take place, but they're asking for peace. And they say, make a treaty with us and we'll be your servants, they pleaded. We don't want to fight. The other one said, God, who do you want to go first? We'll fight. And these guys are like, I, I, I don't want to fight. Let's, let's make a deal. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all Israel. Now, if you need a picture of what that looks like, we got one as well to help you. 
in case you got a little nervous that it was going to be an actual person. Verse 3 says, give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. See, if the enemy can remove your stability and clarity, he'll have the authority. If he can remove your thumbs, your toes, and one of your eyes, you're not a very stable person and you can't see very clearly. And the enemy can take advantage of someone in that condition. For the next few moments, I want to preach about stability and clarity. Would you pray with me that God would speak to us and help us these next few moments? God, I love you. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You're powerful. You're mighty. You're majestic. There's nobody to contend with you. You are God and you are God alone. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. I ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would anoint me, God, to speak your word. I pray, God, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in these next few moments. I pray, God, that there would be an opening in this atmosphere for there to be a liberty, God, for your word to flow and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. Someone say in Jesus' name, amen. Stability and clarity, and I promise you there's no more pictures. In case you're nervous about any more thumbs and toes or lack thereof. That is a story we read that happens to get my attention. Every now and again, you've heard me state there's just there's times I come across scripture and I just put it in park and I just I like to use my imagination in that setting. And then I I put myself immerse myself into the story to better register, comprehend what is happening. And I really just can't get past looking at my own thumbs in my own toes and thinking what it would be like to have the absence of them. Not that I think my toes or my thumbs or whatever are anything to behold, but I am thankful for them. I appreciate them. You know, we use our thumbs every day pretty much. If you have a cellular device, you're pretty much speaking in thumbs all the time and you're texting, you're talking to people, you're grabbing things, you're picking up things. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's usually not until something is impaired or damaged do you realize the value of it, the significance of it. It doesn't have to be a thumb, a big toe. You know, it could just be your ear. If it gets, you know, infected, it could be a tooth if you chip it. It could be, you know, your knee if you uh, jolt it against the wall, your shin if you hit it against the stair. And on and on we can go and realize how much we need or appreciate certain facets of what we have in life. But when they are removed, then we now remember the value, the purpose, the need that we have of them. But this king that we first read about, he boasted that 70 other nations, 70 other kings he conquered. And to demoralize those kings, he would cut off their thumbs and he would cut off their big toes and would leave them underneath his table begging like an animal for scraps beneath him. To cut off the thumbs would render them incapable of holding a sword effectively for battle. You might be able to kind of clasp it and squeeze it, but you cannot hold it and move it in full range motion effectively without a thumb. That thumb keeps it completely in place and the mobility and it's what some say is one of the high markers of what distinguishes us the rest from the rest of animal kingdom. 
and, and, and this, this little thumb right here, this, the power that it has, though it's such a small member, remove that and you can remove the sword from someone's hand in attacking you. To cut off the big toes would impair their balance and their speed. We need that toe for balance. We need that toe to move properly. And if you ever want to propel in speed, you need to be balanced as you are ever increasing in your velocity or your speed. Balance is what aids in propelling speed and sustaining it. And people would like to accelerate in their walk with God, but they will crash if they don't have balance. To remove an eye would reduce field of vision. You would reduce your window or your peripheral of vision. Your vision now reduced. You would have an increased blind spot. To move the dominant eye, to remove the dominant eye incapacitates the long range of battle. Hand-to-hand combat with the sword, that is close. But if you are to have a long-range combat with a bow and arrow and you don't have the thumb, that kind of makes an impact on how you operate the bow. But really, your field of vision with your dominant eye. Has anyone ever here do archery before? Done it or ever shoot a gun before? All right, got a couple, couple in this house. Well, I, I'm not one for hunting, but I have used a bow and arrow. I have used a gun, and, and it's a Nerf gun, but it counts. And if you, if you are aiming long distance, you know, you're up close, you don't really think about it. But if you're, you're looking down that field of vision, you are closing one eye and you're looking down to see that sight, to see further down. And to remove that eye that people would typically need and use would remove them as a danger or a threat from a distance. You know, there are fights that we have with the adversary up close. But there's some fights that we can keep at a distance if we have proper vision, if we have full vision, if we have full range of vision, if we can see further down the road. But you remove that eye, you have now reduced the distance and you are less threat at a distance. I want to be as big of a threat as I can to the kingdom of darkness. I want every one of my faculties intact so the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and those that are part of the church of the living God. The spirit of the enemy is still at work using these same tactics. He does does so by offering terms of peace and agreement as we read in the story prior. As he offers these terms of peace and agreement, it's kind of like, well, if you don't fight, we'll leave you alone. If I remember correctly, it was just a few weeks ago, Pastor Jared made a reference in passing in the sermon of somebody that basically said they didn't want to go all in or really fight or they were just tired of fighting and it's easier not to fight. And if we don't fight, there is this promise that we can feel in our spirit flesh or from the enemy that if you leave me alone i'll leave you alone and there is some truth to that the enemy doesn't pressure those that press towards his kingdom he'll leave them alone and let them enjoy their time here on earth as long as they remain lost and they do not remain a threat to his kingdom he'll let them carry on sounds nice but do you want to live an impaired life spiritually You might have peace so-called, but you're actually reduced to a servant eating scraps under the enemy's table. 
Well, you say, well, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting three meals a day. I'm, I'm still eating. I'm still alive. And I still got, you know, these other areas of my life that seem to be going pretty all right. Look, I, I, I don't want to settle to live under the dominion of darkness under its table, picking at its scraps while it just makes a mockery of me saying, look, here's, there's one, there's two, there's three, there's number five, there's number seven, there's number 22. That's my 70th trophy right there. I don't want to be the trophy of the devil. I don't want to be someone that he just kind of puts on his statistical board, chalking another victory up because I don't have an eye and I don't have my thumbs and I don't have my toes. See this, this is not God's will for this chosen generation. This is not God's will for this Royal priesthood. This is not God's will for this holy nation. When we read in Exodus 29 and verse one about the priesthood, it says, this is a ceremony you must follow when you consecrate. I want to consecrate. I want to get close to God. I want to get connected to God. I want to be in the proximity of God. I want to be as best as I can be for him because I love him. He's a good God. It says, when you consecrate, this is a ceremony to follow. Aaron, your sons, serve me as priest. Take this young bull, two rams with no defects. And he begins to go through the process of it. And we find our way here at verse 20 now. It says, when you slaughter it, apply some of its blood to the right earlobes of Aaron and his sons. And after you slaughter it, apply some of its blood on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. Splatter the rest of the blood against all the sides of the altar. As New Testament priests, we are to consecrate our ears and we are to consecrate our hands and we are to consecrate our feet as unto the Lord. I don't want to give just God some or a majority of my faculty. I want to give him everything. Every part of you matters to function as you should for God. God doesn't just want this area of your life, but you don't have to give him this area. God wants us to consecrate as people of God in the kingdom of God. I want him to know that his blood will be applied to my ears and his blood will be applied to my hands and his blood will be applied to my feet. Someone say amen. The enemy wants to cut off our faculties that give us spiritual authority, that give us stability, that give us balance. He doesn't want us to hear from God, but we plead the blood and we apply it to our ears. He doesn't want us to fight for God, but we plead the blood and apply it to our hands. He doesn't want us to go forth and be a witness in all this world, but we apply the blood of Jesus to our feet and we go forth in speed and in balance. Someone say amen. We must consecrate our ears, hands, and feet unto the Lord. We go back to 1 Samuel chapter 11. We read through this story at verse 1. King Nahash of Ammon led his army against Israelites down of Jabesh Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh, they asked for peace. Please, let's just make a treaty. Let's cut a deal. We'll be your servants. Just don't kill us. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I'm going to gouge out the right eye of every one of you. As a disgrace to all of Israel. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel. Was their response. If no one comes to save us. We'll agree. To your terms. And so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul. And told the people about their plight. Everyone broke into tears. And Saul was plowing. 
a field with his oxen. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's, what's the matter? What's, what's going on? Why is everyone crying? And so they informed and told him about the message from Jabesh. And so all of a sudden, the spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. And he became very angry. Something inside of you has to get stirred when you hear the terms and the conditions of the enemy of your soul. When he begins to try to cut a deal with you, just saying, look, look, just only give so much of this life area of yours to church. And only only put so much of this into the people of God and only put so much of your time into prayer. And how about we cut a deal here? You you cap off your prayer here and you cap off your Bible reading here. Or you, you just kind of, you attend church this way, but don't go above and beyond. Don't, don't give anything more than that. Just, I just want your right eye. If you give me your right eye, you give me your dominant eye, you give me that. And it's just going to look a little shameful maybe in the eyes of others, but at least you'll have your life. Just, just, just your toe, just your finger. It's going to be all right. And they were contemplating this saying, well, it's better to be a pirate than to be dead. It's better to be missing my toes and my, my thumbs than it is to be dead. So it sounds like a pretty good deal as they begin to consider this. But there was somebody when they heard the deal that was presented, they got infuriated. They're like, Are you kidding me? Are you really considering this? As a good deal? Yeah, you might live, but you're going to live as a slave. Yeah, you might have breath in your lungs, but you're going to be scrapping. And you're going to be under the dominion of the adversary. There's that old statement in our American history. Give me liberty or give me death. I would rather be completely Free. I do not want to give my life to God. And he who the Son has set free is not totally free. No, 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 no. Jesus didn't kind of save you. He didn't sort of save you. He came to save you and to liberate you and to give you life. And so you can have it more abundantly. And all of a sudden, Saul he begins to get righteous indignation in his spirit. And he begins to lash out and begin to express himself in a very uh, vocal fashion and expressive meaner, demeanor. And it says, he took two oxen. He cut them in pieces. He sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. This is what's going to happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. He says, look, I know it seems as if it's a fight you cannot win, but this is something you've got to get into. This is something you need to start fighting for because you may feel that you are only going to miss an eye, but you're going to miss more than that. I, he goes, let me just show you prophetically what's going to happen. He begins to slaughter the animal. He says, that's what the Philistines are going to do to you. Whatever property you have, they're going to take it. They're going to have authority of it. They're going to have dominion over it. Anything precious in your world, 
world will not be yours anymore. That's what happens when we cut a deal with the devil. And that's what happens when we cut a deal with this world. They may promise we're not going to antagonize you. You don't mess with us. You don't call us out and we won't mess with you and we won't call you out. It's going on right now across the globe as there's the political realm trying to cut deals with the, the religious realm and just trying to you know negotiate. But I promise you, they are not going to just take a little. They're just going to totally take dominion over time. And we as the church of the living God got to say, no, 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 no. I may lose my life in this fight, but there's some things worth fighting for. I'm going to fight for what is right and what is of God. And the Lord began to move upon the people. It says that the, God, the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger. And all of them came out together as one. You may not like certain personality approaches at times, but God does use personality approaches and certain emotions to try to get people together in serious moments. And it united them as one. And Saul, when he mobilized them, began to count them in verse 8. Now there's 300,000 men of Israel, 30,000 men of Judah. It looked like there was nobody that could fight at all. But once they got united, all of a sudden it's like, wow, this is a force to be reckoned with. You may not feel strong by yourself in your house all alone fighting the fight. But if you would mobilize together and you start mobilizing throughout the week with the family of God and don't try to fight the fight alone throughout the week, but get connected to people in this church. I promise you there's more for you than there are against you. And you look around like, wow, there's 330,000 people for me. We're on the same team. We can do this. We can do this. It's not just numerically because we're 330,000, but there's one. There's one king of king. There's one Lord of lords who is strong and mighty in battle. Verse 9, Saul sends the messengers back to Jabesh Gilead. He says, we will rescue you. They said, if no one saves us, we'll forfeit. And there's people quitting every single day. But they just need to find somebody to save them. That's where the church of the living God steps in. It just needs one person to step in with this message. I'll help save you. I'll help fight. I'll help bring deliverance. You have power because you are a part of the church of the living God. And those that are powerless and don't know anything about how to negotiate with the enemy. Here's the number one rule with negotiating with the devil. Don't cut any deal. You bind him. You take authority. And you tell him, get thee behind these satan this is the church of the living god this is a soul that jesus bled and died for they may not be part of the church but jesus blood is for them to be part of the church so get out of here satan you got no jurisdiction here for i come to you not with a sword and a spear but in the name of the lord mm. And there was great joy throughout the town when that message arrived. I, I, I like that in verse 9. There was great joy in that town when that message arrived. When that Acts 2.38 message arrives, there's going to be great joy in Watertown. When that one God message, Deuteronomy 6.4, arrives and people hear it in Watertown, there's going to be great joy. When people hear this message, there will be great joy. And all of a sudden here... In verse 10, the men of Jabesh told their ill enemies, tomorrow will come out to you. You can do whatever you, you wish. But before dawn of the next morning, Saul arrives. 
he divides his army into three detachments. And he launches a surprise attack against the Ammonites and slaughters them the whole morning. And the Bible says that the remnant of their army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. That's an awesome victory. We, we, we were up against a foe. We're up against a spirit of the age where there is a united effort. There is a united front against the church. But I'm telling you right now, we serve a God that is for us. And whatever is against us, it will not prevail. God can make it so we're not two are left together. See, the enemy didn't see it coming. Because the enemy was not used to retaliation. And that's the culture we live in where the enemy effortlessly gains ground. Effortlessly gets his way. People don't fight for morality anymore. People don't take stands anymore. And we need to value our vision and not let the enemy reduce our field of vision. He'll get, he'll let the church, I think it was Brother Joe Campitella some, some four or five years ago on a service, uh, whether if this church or at youth convention, basically he, the devil's okay with letting the church have a little bit of revival. Just not full-scale revival. Enough to keep the church at bay. Just throw them a bone and just hopefully that they, they celebrate that and they hang out there as long as the gates of hell keep enlarging themselves. He's, he's okay with that. But you hear me right now. I refuse to let reduced field of vision be what happens to the church of the living God here in Watertown, South Dakota. I value the vision that God has given the church. I value the vision that God has given the children's ministry. I value the vision that God has given the youth group. I value the vision that God has given the young adult ministry. I value the vision that God has given this church. Let's not cut a deal. That devil, if you give maybe this size scale of a building and this size group of people and as long as we have a full paid staff we'll just kind of hang out there and you leave us alone we'll leave you no 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 no. that's not the vision I want to have I want both eyes intact I want to see the big picture that God is doing in this day we need to value our vision church he see the devil. He's okay with us watching with the weak eye. He's okay with us watching with the carnal eye. Just as long as we don't have the dominant eye, just as long as we don't have the pure eye, just as long as we don't have an eye for the battle. He's okay with an eye for entertainment, but not an eye that's looking for engaging the battle. Mm. Matthew five, 27 through 30. You've heard it say of them of old time. Thou shall not commit adultery. We know the physical act of adultery is wrong, but Jesus in the New Testament takes it a step further. He goes, I tell you, the person that looks on another woman and lusts after her is committing adultery in his heart. This is Jesus. Before he just brushed it off and say, oh, pastor, you, you jerk face. Jesus. And he's saying it not in a condemning way, but in a loving way to try to pull you in to revelation and understanding. Look what he says here. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Cast it from you. It is profitable for you that one of your members should perish, not the whole body should be cast into hell. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Cast it from you. It's profitable for you to enter one of your members to perish and not your whole body to be cast into hell. 
It almost seems like the opposite of what we read in the Old Testament. The point is Jesus did not intend for our dominant eye to be dominated by perversion. And Jesus did not intend for our dominant hand to be dominated by distraction. He wants us to be wholly given to him, completely given to him. We need to pray like Psalm 144 and verse 1, Lord, teach my hands to war. I don't want just to have one hand in the battle. I don't want just four fingers in the battle. I want my hands to learn. I want my fingers to fight. In Mark 8:22, we read it says when they arrived at Bethesda, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And he spit on the man's eyes. There's probably no CDC guidelines. And he lays his hands on him and says, can you see anything now? And the man's answer is, yes, I see. But I see people, I just can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. So Jesus places his hands on the man's eyes again. And his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored. And he could see everything clearly. Let us not settle for improved vision. But it remains impaired vision. I, I thank God for everyone that's in this room that has been baptized in Jesus' name. And filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Your vision has improved since then. But don't just settle for improvement when there's still impairment. Someone listening here today? God filled you with the Holy Ghost because he loves you. He baptized you in that lovely name to wash away all of your sins. But it's not for the purpose of improvement. He wants to do more than just help you to improve better than what you were before. This man was healed. Yes, he was blind. You would think he's thankful that he can now see, but he has the audacity to tell Jesus. It's not complete. You've begun a good work in me, but I want you to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to complete what you began in me. I can see and some people. Well, you should be thankful. You should be thankful. You can see you shouldn't complain about your miracle. It's, it's not, is, any, is anyone is this registering with you for just a moment right now? This man was blind and he now sees. And he starts complaining to Jesus that, well, yes, you healed me, but like, I don't see clearly. And Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus does not push him away. Jesus does not slap him. Jesus took him back and he says, let's finish what we started because this man, he could see, but he wanted to see clearly. I'm thankful that you may have been blind, but I don't want to kind of see it was, I was blind, 
But now I see. I want to. I didn't have eyes, but now I have one. But God, knowing that I could have two eyes, if I can choose, I want both eyes open. I'm thankful for the one eye you healed. I'm thankful, God, for the vision that you have given me. But Lord, I do not want to settle for just improved vision when I know I still have impaired vision. I want to see clearly. Is there someone in this room right now? You are thankful that you've been born again. You praise God that you've been born again, but you know there's some more clarity that you need. There's some more balance that you need. I'm telling you, the one who gives clarity and balance is in this house right now. If you would just be open and honest with him and say, Jesus, I I, I love you. Yes, I, I can see. I see more than I've ever seen before, but I don't see clearly. And Jesus says, let's do this again. Let's pray again. Let's, let's minister again. I'm not through with you. I'm not finished with you. And he prayed one more time. And that man's sight was completely restored in verse 25. And he could see everything clearly. Church, when our sight is completely restored and we can see everything clearly, the devil doesn't got a shot. He ain't got nothing because when he is exposed and he can no longer be concealed but through clear vision he is revealed we now know how to fight in the battle we know how to operate in the battle God has designed the church to win you're excited but I'm just telling you right now I could get very specific and I start walking the line and all of a sudden the hand claps could reduce and, and the standing up can reduce and, and all of a sudden this, this seat shifting can begin to take place and, and the heads can get buried because all of a sudden we start getting where you're living. It's, it's, it's a real thing here. Jesus, place your hands on me again. Ah, uh, can we lift our hands? Can we lift our voices? Can you ask Jesus to help you to see clearly? God, God, help me. I want balance. I want clarity. Ha, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 God. Grant your people stability. Mm, hallelujah. I don't want just improvement. I don't want to just live. Look. You can be a child of God and still be in a mess. Are you listening? You you can be a child of God, still be in a mess. That prodigal son, he goes, give me my blessing. And he left the father's house. When did he stop being a son? Never did stop being a son. He's a son the entire time. That son, he didn't see clearly. He wasn't thinking clearly. He's making horrific decisions based upon what he wants and what he desires not what the father knows is best. Not what the father offered in protection and a shield of protection and, and, and a, a fence roundabout. And that son began to give into what he wanted with his inheritance and his blessing. And he got down so low after he, he got all of his friends and he got all of the fame. He got all the popularity. He got everyone to like him. But all of a sudden when the funds ran out, the fun ran out. And the friends ran out and now he finds himself starving and he is placed at a pig pen and he's eating. You say, well, you know, bless God. I'm a child of God. Yeah, you're a child of God. 
but look where you're living. Yes, you're a child of God, but look what you're eating. Yes, you're a child of God, but look who your neighbors are right now. You look to the right and you see pigs, you see slop, you may be eating. And the thing that you justify that you were convinced was worth it, you are now in the place at the bottom of the barrel. There's some things that are not worth justifying. Well, you know, God saved me from meth. You know, marijuana is not that bad. God saved me from, you know, adultery, but my pornography is not so bad. See, we can begin to get categorical with our sins and talk about our improvement. I thank God for improvement. But God did not save you just for improvement. God wants to perfect you. God wants to finish what he began. God wants to complete the work in you. Oh, hear me. Listen. Listen, you can sit in that pig pen and you can justify yourself as long as you want. And you'll stay there as long as you justify that you're a child of God. I'm a child of the Father. I'm a child of the Father. But why don't you lift up your head and look to the right? There's a pig right there. Look to the left. There's another one right there. Look what's in front of you. You think that you could justify living a life of improvement. It ain't that improved. It ain't all that much better. You still might be a child of God. God, but you're so far removed from the father's house, the father's living conditions. You pick it. I'm telling you, you want to, you want to talk about two battles. I mean, there's three. There's, I keep going through more, but three big ones in Watertown, the people justifying pornography, marijuana, and alcohol. Those three things justified over and over and over and over again. Well, I'm a child of God. I've been born again. Oh, you know, well, God made the green herb, you know, and oh, you know, the, you know, it's pornography. I'm not, I'm, it's, it's just, you know, I'm just watching on and on and on. The justification goes and I can get into the literal morality and the scripture of why it's a sin. But let's just, just think about this concept for a moment. Lift up your head with that J in your hand and look around who else is holding one. Is that the caliber of people you want to be? Look at the one that provides you the marijuana. Is that the caliber you want to be? Look at the people that push for marijuana. What else are they pushing for? Abortion. You could justify the act. But why is it the group that justifies the act that pushes it is for other things that are anti-God? Maybe there's a spirit attached to the thing. That we're attached to. It's called addiction. And God wants to break that. He doesn't want you just to be improved in behavior. He, he who the son is set free. Is not free in weed. Is free indeed. He wants to liberate you. From that marijuana. He wants to liberate you from that alcohol. He wants to liberate you from that pornography. You you look around at the crowd. That's at that pig pen. They're in porn. They're in alcohol. And they're in weed. What is a child of God doing in the pigsty? What is a child of God doing in that mud pit? What is a child of God doing there? God's grace is to pull you out of the pit. God's grace is to bring you back. To the proper living condition. Of the father's house. Do not let a spirit go in 
into your ear and start to justify this certain act and this certain behavior. I'm telling you, you're trying to live for God with your thumbs cut off, your toes cut off, and your eye removed. You're not going to live very successful, and you will not accomplish much for God with your eye removed, with your thumb cut off, and your toe removed. I want to do something for God. I want to accomplish something for God. God, liberate me. God, Would you lift your hands and your voices right now? You may be seated. I don't know how many there be in this room, and I don't know how many would be bold enough to do it. I'm not going to force you to do it, but if when you got born again and God set you free from marijuana, would you stand to your feet? If you've been born again and God sets you free from alcohol, would you stand to your feet? If you're born again and God sets you free from meth, would you stand? If you've been born again and God sets you free from pornography, would you stand? Look in this room, man. This, this is what the born again experience does. It liberates people. And this is what we have to offer in Watertown, South Dakota. I'm not going to offer a one-eyed, one-thumb religion to Watertown. I want them to experience everything. I'm telling you, we do not have to compromise to have revival. We can give the full gospel and have full revival. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. If you are here in this room, listen very carefully. I am not pointing anyone out. I'm not singling anyone out. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone in this room. But if you are here and pornography is a battle that you have, if you are here and marijuana is a battle that you have, if you are here and alcohol is a battle that you have, I'm telling you, we do not look down on you. We do not think we're better than you. We do not think we're superior than you. You just witness that in this room, there's a great testimony of what God has done in people's lives. I just want you to know that you don't have to settle for improvement. God wants the full thing to happen for you. You can have both eyes in the church. You can have both hands and both thumbs in the church. When you come to church, you can do this. Why not have a thumbs up service? Why not have a celebration service? I don't want to come and not be able to celebrate. I want to celebrate. Look what the Lord has done. God is about to show himself mighty. What has two thumbs and has been saved? What has two thumbs and been set free from pornography? What has two thumbs and been set free from alcohol? I'm excited. God has saved me. God has liberated me. Jesus, Jesus, you may be seated. I'm just about done. I've been preaching about 40 minutes. Mm. Don't be in this room and feel condemned. Feel challenged. Feel challenged that there's more for you. Don't settle. Mark 8, 26. We're still in the story. of Mark 8. The man that was healed and could see clearly. Jesus says, don't go back to the village you 
on your way home. Don't go back to that same crowd. They want to kill your miracle. It's like John 12, 9 and 10. Lazarus raised from the dead. You think everybody excited. Everyone flocked to see Jesus in verse 9 and to see Lazarus because he was raised from the dead. Why did that really happen? But look what happens when they see Lazarus. The leading priests want to kill him too. Don't go back to your dealer. Don't go back to those that have alcohol in their hands. I'm telling you, I was, I was at someone's house this Friday, a Christian's home. I should have had the picture up here too. I, I didn't think if I would have thought of it. You should have saw what was in my hand. How many ounces? I, I shouldn't expose them in this room. It was about like 30 ounces of glorious ribeye with the bone in hand. I didn't have a bud in hand. I didn't have a joint in hand. I had meat and I had godly fellowship. Don't go back to those that are going to put the wrong thing in your hand and the wrong thing in your face. Go to the people of God in this church. They're going to put the right thing in front of you. They're going to put love. They're going to put care. Mm. Mm. James 1.19 through 27. I'm, this portion of scripture, one more, and I'm done. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. You need to respond to this quicker. You need to be slow to speak. You got to get slow to get mad. I know you get ticked off when the preacher starts preaching where you're living, but don't get so angry. Maybe, maybe you should ponder their motives. Maybe they love you. You know why? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You want to be right with God? Stop getting angry when someone tells you you need to change this in your world. They're trying to produce something in you that God desires. So, what do we do? Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Well, you know, marijuana, you know, it's organic. It's natural remedies. How would you feel right now if between, between taking a breath while I'm preaching, I, I crack open a Jack Daniel, and I take a, a puff of some marijuana, set it down, and I keep preaching the word? How, what would that do to your flesh? Would that bother you maybe? Would you say, man, that pastor's a hypocrite. Don't hold me at a higher standard. I'm just a human that wants to live for God. Think higher about yourself. You, would, you guys would gasp if I cussed over this microphone right now. Don't hold me at a higher standard. Now, do I believe ministry should leave, live at the highest standard possible? Absolutely. Because they're leading. But you need to think of yourself a little more. That you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. So if you would gasp, if you saw me take a swig of alcohol right now and smoke a joint between each time I take a breath here, if that would shock you, why doesn't it shock you when you do it? Now, I'm not preaching superior than, holier than thou. I'm just letting you know what God can do for you. He wants to do more than just improve your eyesight. He wants to complete it. So, what does 
your human anger do? It's not going to produce righteousness that God desires. Get rid of the filth and the evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts because it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You're only fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself. You walk away. You forget what you look like. That's why some people don't stare in the mirror long enough. They don't like what they see. And so they put the mirror away and they go on living. This is why you need to read your Bible every day and look in the mirror. You know, my wife and I, we have like ongoing love for the same, same type of lighting. We like that yellow lighting that makes you look like you have jaundice. Because I don't see the red zits pulsating from my nose. I thank God for yellow dim light. Then you go to other atmospheres where it is radiating. It's like I love the Sioux Falls Church, but that the the the, the lumens in those lights there, I can see the pores and everything. I don't like that lighting. And that's what the word is. There's a lumens right here. And it shows everything in my life. But it's not to insult you, it's to inform you and to help you. Say, look, that other light. You may like it because you don't deal with what's really there. But God loves you enough to show you clearly what we need to work on. Verse 25, I'm just about done. If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, I hope you don't forget what was preached today, folks. Then God will bless you. For doing it. If you claim to be religious, you don't control your tongue. You're fooling yourself. Your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. They may offer you a covenant and cut you a deal, but really it's just corruption. Let's stand together as we read Judges 1, 6, and 7. Adonai Bezek escaped. But the Israelites soon captured him. And they cut off his thumbs. They cut off his big toes. You can put up that picture of those toes if you want, but if everyone shakes their head, no, don't do it. I want I want the enemy to lose the hold that he's had on me. If we can get rid of that one thing in our life, the enemy, you just reduced his clasp on you. If you could just sever that one thing. You could probably, yeah, take that off. That's gross. Judges 1-7, that king says, I once had 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off. I once had 70 apostolics 
at the Jesus Church with their thumbs and big toes cut off. There was a congregation of 70 eating scraps under my table. But God's paying me back for what I did to them. Now, I'm not saying all of you have your thumb cut off, your toe severed. But what I'm saying is what the enemy did to you, let's turn it back on him and say, no more. No more. Now, I may have named the big three in Watertown. I could name four, you know, when it comes to fornication and adultery, promiscuity, but I just named those three. But there's other things that all of us have. The enemy has a hold on us. You would be prudent to find out, what's he thumbing me? What, what does he have a hold on me? And I would like to remove that. I, I, I want to function better for God, and I want to remove what the enemy is trying to hold me with. God wants you to cut off the hold the enemy has on you. We've seen him do it to 70 others, 70 years, on and on and on. But it's time we cut him off. I feel the Holy Ghost here. The temptation would be for me to continue to spit and scream in the celebratory moments we are having as I preach. But I really feel in this moment here, in this altar, I'm going to ask Sister Brittany to come and She's going to play something lightly. I don't know if she'll sing anything or just play some music. But I, I think it would be good for all of us. When I mean all of us, I mean 100% of us. To find somewhere to talk to God in this front area. And say, God, I, I've been trying to live for you with eight fingers and eight toes. I've been trying to live for you with one eye closed. But God, I want full vision. And God, I want, I want full use of these hands and feet given to the kingdom of God. I want the blood of the lamb to be applied to my ear. I want that blood to be applied to my thumbs. I want that blood to be applied to my toes. I want to live, God, in stability. I want to live in clarity. And God will do it for you. We could pass this microphone around and we could hear story after story and testimony after testimony of he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Would you let God totally and completely free you? Some of you, it may, the thumb that has a hold on you might be gossip. Some of you, it might be unforgiveness. Some of you might be anger and resentment. Some of you, it might just be doubt and unbelief. And you're just mad at God thinking that he's kind of singled you out to not let you experience what others get to experience. I don't know what it is in your world, but I, I believe that we could function at a higher capacity right now. If we forbid the enemy, we do not commit a covenant with him and go into an agreement with him thinking you know what uh, you leave me alone I'll leave you alone and I'm just going to coast in church God's got more for you saint God's got more for you child of God these altars are open right now would you begin to talk to the Lord right now would you begin to be transparent before him would you begin to talk to him Jesus 
Jesus, I, I don't want to just uh, have partial victory. I don't want to just, Lord, I, I do want to thank you, Lord, for being born again. I do want to thank you, God, for the forgiveness of sins. I do want to thank you for filling me with the Holy Ghost. I want to thank you for baptism in Jesus' name. But God, I, I just have not yet broken this thing called pornography. I have not broken this spirit of alcohol. God, I'm still struggling with marijuana. God, I still struggle with, Lord, the words of my mouth. Lord, I have perverted language. God, I have vile words coming out of my mouth. Jesus, I do not want improvement. I want total victory. I want complete victory. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. Come on. God's doing a deep work in your life right now. God's doing a deep work in this church right now. There is a ministering spirit in this room for this body for this group of people. Come on, you want to be greater for God? You want to go deeper in God? This is your altar call. You want to be used of God mightily? This is your altar call. Come on, all hands on deck. Go ahead and cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. He's here and he loves you. He loves you.